These days it seems like everyone's a movie critic, but sometimes when we listen to the critics, we miss out on the joys to be found in watching bad films. That's where we come in. In Defense Of is a movie podcast where we watch universally panned movies on purpose and challenge ourselves to focus on the positive and redeeming qualities of those films. Maybe it's the music, cinematography, acting, or just some unintentional humor. Sometimes it will be really easy, especially if we already like the film in question. But other times, it's going to be really, really hard. Either way, we're bound and determined to find something worth liking and might even learn a thing or two along the way. So take off your cynic pants and buckle your seatbelts. In this episode, we play devil's advocate in defense of 2017's The Emoji Movie. Hello and welcome to In Defense Of. Today, we are looking at 2017's The Emoji Movie. With me is Aaron. How's it going, Aaron? I'm good. How are you? Good. Doing good. I have a question for you. Yes. What does North Korea, Jordan Peele, brain surgery, and bomb threats have in common? Oh, well, it's gotta be the Emoji Movie. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. And by the end of this episode... Uh, you'll know why we're gonna we're gonna approach this like a criminal investigation. <laughs> so the emoji movie currently sits on Rotten Tomatoes at seven percent, which means seven percent of the reviews that they aggregated were positive. Um, that is one percent higher than Gili, which we recorded last episode. Um, yeah. So that's a little scary. That's a little yeah. scary. Also, I think I feel like that this movie was a thousand times better than Gili. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This was a lot easier on the nerves than Gili. I was full on intimidated. I was scared to watch Gili, but this I was like, yeah, whatever. It's yeah, it's, an, it's a movie. Um, okay, Aaron. So, um, did you see this in theaters? When did you first see this? No, no. Uh, so I watched it actually yesterday. Um, I went over to my family's for breakfast and I was wondering, I asked them what they were all doing. They had no plans. So I made them all, uh, watch the emoji movie with me. <laughs> so it was, and? uh, it was an experience because I was like, ah, you know, like whatever, like this movie's not that bad. And, uh, I had my 13 year old nephew was who just like moaned and groaned the entire time being like, no. what is this? <laughs> oh my gosh. Are we seriously watching this? And so it was pretty funny, but half of me is like, I don't know if he's just, you know, 13 and likes to complain or if he, I don't know if he actually hated it, but so halfway through, did you switch it out for Master of Disguise? <laughs> no, not yet. I still haven't done that one yet. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I too watched it for this episode um, just a couple days before you did. And yeah, I, I avoided it in theaters. I had obviously heard all the buzz and the negativity surrounding it, mm-hmm. but really had no ambitions to go see it in theaters. Um, yeah. I, I think it's pretty clear that this movie is not for us it's probably not for anyone under the age of 18 probably yeah um, well but- that that's kind of interesting you say that because uh one of the things that came up uh my sister was there and she was like D- would kids even get this movie uh mm. just because you know it's almost it's almost they're in the phone right and so as a younger younger kid like you're not gonna get that yeah that's true that's true yeah especially if you don't have a phone Mm-hmm. So this is like, the, like, 
essentially this movie is trying to hit the target audience of like 14 or like 13 to 16 kind of right yeah and that's that's kind of interesting because it did i mean it kind of it didn't do too badly it it really Mm -hmm. didn't at the box office it made a ton of money it was um i think it cost about fifty thousand dollars to make you know, $50 million to make. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, $50,000 went into the the, the, the opening credits. Uh, $50 million to make, and the cumul- cumulative worldwide gross was $217 million. Oh, yeah. Okay. So nothing to be too disappointed about on a financial standpoint. Yeah. Um, but again, Aaron, uh, this, is a, this is a Sony movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Jeez, man, if we're not careful, this whole podcast is just going to be about Sony films. Uh, it's, so, it's so bad, hey? I, yeah. I mean, can't, can't Sony make a good movie? Like, what are they doing? Who's in charge of making the movies there? I know. It's madness. It really, really is. So, yeah, I mean, I watched this, and the, the, our pro, my approach to watching these is probably like you, is I don't, I don't do a bunch of research until have seen the film because I don't want to like color my mm-hmm. my perception going in. So I didn't read any interview. I didn't even look at the Rotten Tomatoes score prior to watching it. Just watched it, what took it at face value, um, and then started digging in. And then was uh, again like I think like Gili just shocked at the um, the level of anger towards this film. Yeah, there is quite um, a bit of anger towards it. Yeah, so we have to talk about the context of this film. That's, I mean, you yeah, can did, just, yeah. Sorry, did you want to give the uh, pl- the pl- the rundown of the plot? Yeah, go ahead and give the rundown of the plot for sure. Sure. Okay. Um. So this movie is just a, it's about emojis. Um. The emojis <laughs> are living in a um. The kid's name is Alex. They're living in his phone, and he's got to be what like fourteen, fifteen at the time. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. And yeah, so it is it center it centers around an emoji and he is the meh emoji uh who is voiced by TJ Miller. Mm-hmm. And uh basically, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. So whenever the emojis get chosen uh by the kid like using them in his phone, um like there's a there's like the emojis are in their own little world that are that's in the phone and they get uh, their job is to be selected for the keyboard to like display it. Right. And TJ right. uh, Miller, meh, the meh emoji, he is um, he is just like he's not really good at being meh. He uh, he displays like multiple emojis. Uh, he'll go to the heart face, crying face, laughing face. He'll do all those. And mm-hmm. so everyone just views him as uh, he's malfunctioning because he doesn't fit in. And right. so so the movie is about him um, essentially trying to get reprogrammed so that he can fit in. And yes. towards the end of the movie, uh, he realizes that he doesn't need to be reprogrammed to fit in and he can fit in the way he is. And there's like this little sweet scene where um, the boy sends the emoji of the meh and then he he like goes through a bunch of emotions. So I think he does uh, laughing, meh, um, like 
heart eyes and then yeah and the boy sends this to the girl and then the girl thinks it's super cute and they end up going to a dance together um so so i left like a lot of like key parts out of that which i'm sure we'll talk about as we go i don't know did you want to add anything more to this you pretty much nailed it i wrote down um i wrote down the line that the girl says at the end because um, it was one of those unintentional laughter lines where I, I just like the whole premise of the movie kind of <laughs> threw out the window. She says to him when she sees the new, uh, gene emoji, she says, I like that you're one of those guys who can actually express his feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> but oh, it's, yeah, okay. by extension, he, he didn't, gene did, you know what I mean? So I was like, mm-hmm. That's bizarre. So, but no, that's that's 100% the plot in a nutshell. Yeah, everyone thinks that Gene is a malfunction. They get chased around by antivirus bots. Uh, hijinks, yeah. hijinks commence. It's pretty straightforward writing. Pretty stinking straightforward. A lot of cliche. Um, I feel... I, I was kind of confused while watching this because I kept thinking about, like, Wreck-It Ralph and Ralph Breaks the Internet. And mm-hmm. then I was thinking about Inside Out, and I was trying to figure out uh, who was stepping on whose toes there, because everything kind of felt similar. I haven't seen Ralph Breaks the Internet, but I feel like I have now that I've watched the Emoji movie. Yeah. Eh? Even though I think Ralph Breaks the Internet is probably a better film. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's the plot, and that kind of frames up everything we're going to talk about. Um, now, this again, this is an easy movie to watch and take it at face value and kind of judge it, but... There's so much interesting stuff to unpack here as to um, where this movie came from. Um, I think we have to start with Sony. Yes. Okay. Um, So one of the things I'd mentioned at the top there was North Korea. So, Aaron, flashback to, I think it was 2014, when a movie called The Interview was about to come out. It had Seth Rogen and it had... Why can't I remember his name off the top of my head? James Franco. James Franco. Seth Rogen and James Franco. So in the movie The Interview, which is a Sony product, um, the plot is assassinating the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. So this, uh, a lot of people weren't happy about that, obviously. Uh, a, free, a group of hackers operating out of North Korea had... Uh, I think they called themselves like the Guardians of Peace, something like mm-hmm. that. They had hacked a bunch of data from Sony's pictures and released it online. And it was everything from like um, financial records to like uh, what people were being paid, you know, uh, their upcoming mm-hmm. film slate, just a whole bunch of stuff. And it just about put Sony pictures in the ground. Like this was a total, total disaster for them. Yeah. So Sony now has to recover their losses and they're looking left, right, and center for a surefire hit, some sort of content to recoup their money. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they rush out the Emoji Movie, which was made in two years. Yeah. Um, Because one, they wanted it to still be relevant because technology is moving so fast. And two... They wanted to cram it full of product placement deals to try to get as much money into this little project as possible to get them through the fiscal quarter, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So right then and there, it doesn't bode well for your movie when it's basically 
its sole purpose is to save the studio from foreclosure, essentially. Yeah. I, I read, Aaron, that when the trailer dropped, a lot of people thought that the trailer was fake. And a lot of people, so many people disliked this trailer and the backlash was so strong that um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was like Wired or someone. Someone, were on, someone ran like a clickbait article that mm-hmm. Sony was actually pulling the movie because it was so negatively received when the trailer dropped and all that dropped. Yeah. But that wasn't true. But so many people believed that, that by the time it hit theaters, so many people had already made their minds up about this movie. Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, just even reading reviews and stuff, people just are absolutely like losing it over all the product placement and uh, just like the the selling out of the movie, I guess. Yes. Um, Sony is one of the worst perpetrators for product placement. Mm-hmm. If any Adam Sandler movie is just, it's a nightmare commercial world. It's so crazy. And yeah. this, this movie, man, it, in fact, I will go so far as to say the only thing that truly bothered me about this film was the product placement. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a Candy Crush sequence. There's a Just Dance sequence. Yeah. Then there's all the apps and stuff that they have on the phone that they show them like traveling to. They ride a tweet. They surf a drop yeah. a Spotify wave. They're trying to get to Dropbox. There's Facebook references. Yeah. Good lord. Um, that stuff makes my skin crawl. I I, I hate it. But and again, in the context of in the context of the business, um, it worked. That's what's so mm-hmm. spooky. Is it totally worked for Sony? Um, obviously, Sony Pictures is still around. They're still pumping out films. Yeah. Um, still oddly pumping enough, out bad films too. <laughs> yeah, still pumping out bad films. Um, yeah, and so that's that's the uh, that's the backdrop of what this movie was. Mm-hmm. Now, Aaron also. Uh, it's impossible to talk about this film without talking about T.J. Miller. Yeah. Or Todd Joseph Miller, as I found out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, so what do we know about T.J. Miller? Okay, so there was a lot of interesting things around him. Um, one of the things I found the most interesting was, um, at the time, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched the show Silicon Valley. Uh, no, I hadn't, no. Um, so on that show, it kind of leaves you on a, not so much a cliffhanger, but like a really kind of funny situation in the way that TJ Miller, um, exits the show. And so I've always, I always thought it was odd because the show is like truly like a really funny show. And, um, I feel, I feel that, uh, TJ Miller did bring quite a bit to that show as well as in, in terms of, um, just like on-screen presence and like humor and everything. Like he, he, he brought quite a bit to that show. And um, so I thought it was very odd that he would stop or that he wouldn't be in it. And yeah, one of the things was, is like he went on to do the emoji movie. Um, But the thing that was interesting is whenever I was looking at why he left the, left the cast of um, 
Silicon Valley. It was because apparently he was showing up late to work. Um, when he would come to work, he would be either under like the influence of uh, pot or alcohol and uh, just, yeah, just didn't take his job serious, left the whole entire cast uh, like waiting for him. And yeah, so he just seemed like he was in a world of hurt. And yeah, and and, and I read a few interviews and it just seemed like the guy was uh, he was just like, well, you know, I like the difference between me and someone else is that I am in the public eye and whoever whoever just goes to their nine to five job just does that. And he's like, this is my nine to five job. And so it's just really weird because it didn't seem like he was that interested in uh, doing the emoji movie, but more so approached it as it was just a job that he needed to get done. Right. I'm glad you're excited about this emoji movie, yeah. and I'm glad that things are going well for you. But A, I'm a little bit angry with you, and B, I'm worried about you, and I'm going to tell you why. Why are you quitting Silicon Valley? This is a terrible idea. I love that show. I love your character, Erlich Bachman. I think you do a great job. Over. In fact, don't aren't there two more seasons of the show to come? I mean, perhaps. I'm no yeah, I'm not on it anymore. You so. will not be on the show anymore. No. Did you get fired? Did you steal something? Did you steal that ring? <laughs> I mentioned earlier that I didn't want to talk about this. Uh, I know you did, but <laughs> Jimathan, please. Um and then yeah, and then the other thing that was was kind of funny and which also left this impression on me was that uh I was watching interviews and he was talking about the emoji movie. And one of the big stunts that uh, Sony decided to do, uh, I can't remember what film festival it was, but right before that film festival, they decided that they would fly in or well, he would they would parasail TJ Miller in onto like a barge and then he would oh get God. off and like pump, pump the uh, pump the movie up. And if you ever have some time, like I suggest you look up this because it's actually like just the most stupidest thing you'll ever watch. <laughs> to promote the emoji movie, to do a stunt that shows how exciting and adventurous this is going to be! Oh, no, no! Ow! Ah! 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 It's like, honestly, not that great. And then he just, like, lands, and then it takes him, like, ten minutes to get out of his, like, whatever harness that he's in from parasailing. And then right. he, like, runs out into the stage, and he's just like, yeah, emoji movie. Like, it just, <laughs> he just seems oh, like no. he knows. He already knew what this movie was, but he's just like, well, I need to work, and, like, this is a job. Um, there is a few other things. Like, he said that the, uh, I, I think it was the director sat him down and told him why he actually wanted him. And and that was apparently one of the reasons that influenced him to choose uh, the movie. But yeah, I don't know. Just just seemed really odd about the whole entire thing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you have some stuff to add to that, right? A little bit. I uh, yeah. As of right now, he's in. He's in. As of right now, the time is us recording this is uh, it's mid April. 2019. I don't want to say too, too much because again, this is all like allegations. I want to make that clear as we're recording this, <laughs> but mm -hmm. there are some sexual assault allegations open against him right now. Uh, I don't know how those have resolved, but based on what else has been said, you know, that's, that's nuts. Also, um, in, I guess it was a year, 
almost a year to the day, Aaron, April 9th, 2019, or 2018, he was arrested for calling in a fake bomb threat on an Amtrak train. Yeah. Um, and that hasn't resolved yet. I think he's due in court soon uh, mm-hmm. as of recording this podcast. Um, yeah, and again, you touched on the work with mis- misconduct accusations. And um, as of right now, he is in a lot of hot water. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot. And I don't know what the future for him looks like, but as an actor, man, yeah, this is just about as bad as it gets. And yeah, I didn't even, I, I knew a little bit about this because going into Deadpool 2, I'd read a few interviews about people were asking Ryan Reynolds if he was going to cut him from the film based on the allegations that had surfaced. And Ryan Reynolds was like, yeah. well, no, it's it's too close. We can't, we, we would we he's too integral to what's going on we can't do it but suffice to say he probably won't be in deadpool 3 you know yeah so um and it's i will say this it's too bad because i still remember watching cloverfield for the first time in like 2008 and tj miller voices hud who essentially carries that entire film he does a great job um most of his his best work is mostly in voice acting. Like he was in mm-hmm. Big Hero Six, which is I, I love Big Hero Six. I think it's a great film. Um, he was in Ready Player One. He did a great job in that. Um, Who did he vo- voice in the Ready Player One? I forget. I Rock. Okay. Yeah. So, and he was in Yogi Bear. He played Ranger Jones. Yeah. And How to Train Your Dragon. He was a tough nut Thorsten. <laughs> so okay. the, the guy's funny. He's legitimately funny. He's a comedian. He's done a lot of fun stuff, a lot of kid-oriented stuff. It's too bad to see him on up against the ropes, but, you know, we'll see how this all shakes out in the coming year. Who knows, man? This might be the last we hear of him. Wow. Um it's actually really interesting because if you like look at his um, like IMDP page and like you actually look into him, he still's got like a few things coming up here. He does, hey. Yeah, so I, I like who knows? It could work. It could be okay. I know he's a survivor of brain surgery. In like 2010, yeah. he had like brain surgery, and there was like a 10 percent chance of uh, fatality. So the the guy has not had an easy go. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine hearing that, yes, you have to get brain surgery. I can't imagine that being an easy thing to deal with. Not excusing anything that he's done. I'm just saying the dude has had a tough go. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Yeah, That's our main character. That's our main character of this film. It's T.J. Miller. Uh, now, this movie was directed by Tony Leondis. Uh, and if that name doesn't ring any bells, that's not surprising because... Pretty much the only stuff he's done is animated movies. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that's all he's done is animated movies. And all the animated movies he's done have, for the most part, been like sequels that you would never really watch, but they're sequels to bigger films like Lilo and Stitch 2, Kronk's New Groove, Kung Fu Panda, mm-hmm. Secret of the Whatever. You know what I mean? Like he, he directs yeah. all these like, yeah. Straight this- to DVD movies. Exactly. Like 
put it, he's he's one of the guys that directs those movies that come up on Netflix when you're looking for the actual movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're yeah, like, that. no, the first one, not this sequel crap. Yeah. I guess that's the new straight to DVD now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, straight to Netflix. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole other thing, man. We haven't even talked about Netflix films. We could spend... I mean, we could make a whole, a whole, you know, this whole podcast could be just about Netflix movies because uh, Netflix is not indicative of quality. There's, mm-hmm. there's, it's every bit as diverse as anything that comes to theaters. <laughs> oh man! With that being said, I feel like we should do Bird Box because I like I don't understand that movie. Yeah, I uh, I was a little disappointed by Bird Box, for sure. Um, so Tony. Leondis, I think I'm saying his name right, he also wrote this film. He wrote the screenplay and the story and directed it. So I found out that Tony Leondis, uh, in reading some interviews and stuff with him, um, he is gay. And so he referred to this project as being very personal to him because he was approaching it from the standpoint as not fitting in with what society wants you to be and Mm -hmm. being put in a box of like, oh, you should be one way but you're another way and being true to yourself. It's a very, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a bummer because to him it was like this personal project. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't think Sony recovering from a hack trying to make money was the right venue for him to invest much of his own feelings into it because yeah. th- this did not go well for anybody because this is the last film that he has directed and has no upcoming projects Aaron this is um, yeah this is probably a career ender movie yeah this is like <laughs> i this is this is a funny follow up to Gili because we just talked about this same ha- thing happening um yeah okay so the next thing we need to talk about uh in context before we even start pulling apart this film is Something that we've never really mentioned on this podcast yet, but is a totally common pr- practice now, is something called review embargoes. Mm-hmm. Aaron, can you explain what that means? Oh, uh, I'm like not the most familiar. Like I just kind of have a generalization, so feel free to correct me at any time. Um, but essentially, it's just that before the movie comes out, they don't allow people to review the movies uh, so that they cannot like skew what it's going to be. Because if people know the reviews and they know it before the movie comes out, it'll like dictate whether they go and see it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, essentially, they just try to like not let anyone review it. Um, this is I know this one was like a big one where they didn't allow anyone to review it. And I think they did it on Captain Marvel as well, right? Yeah, so they've done it on a few movies. Yeah, that that's that definition is 100% accurate. Really, it is. Um, yeah, so Sony was so worried about, as we touched on, you can see their motivation for this. They were so worried mm-hmm. about um, people crapping all over this film that their review embargo didn't lift until like the last possible second. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't remember what I read, but I, it was something like, hours before the movie like came out like release premiered or whatever you want to call it oh and then for a while it sat at zero (laughs) percent until 
as, until presumably some Sony shills went and gave it some positive reviews. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about some of the other cast members. Okay. Um, who plays Hand? That's uh, uh, James Cor- Cor- Corden. Corsden? High five. Yeah, I'm a huge James Corden fan. Um, I I love his carpool karaoke stuff. I think he's just a yeah. funny and nice guy. I don't know what it is. Like, um, if you haven't seen his his carpool karaoke thing with Paul McCartney, oh my gosh, man, it makes me it like legitimately mm-hmm. made me cry. It was so good. Um, he definitely stole this stole this film for me. I, I <laughs> even though I found like his hand movements disturbing in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, he was, he was definitely my favorite part of this film. I loved his, uh, I loved his, his characterization. The old comedic release. Yeah. Now, one of the most famous, uh, casting choices in this film is that Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart plays the poop emoji. Patrick, you have a long, you have an illustrious career. Royal Shakespeare Company for 10 years. Yeah. But yeah. here you are, the poop emoji. Was this? No. Did you, was it all, did you feel like it was all heading for this? It came to me and it came in an email and it was the quickest response I have ever given you to You jumped it. for it. And it jumped all over it. Yeah. Yes! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a gift because now I will never be able to separate the poop emoji from your voice. And they will give it a they will give it a great dignity. Is that going to be a problem for you? I Seth? don't know. I don't. I think it'll be a, it'll make my life better. What happened Excuse there? Excuse me. I don't know. I got threads hanging out of my shirt. Um, this brings us to the next piece of the puzzle here, Aaron. Um, in doing some digging, I found out that Jordan Peele was originally mm-hmm. offered the role as the poop emoji. <laughs> Now, keep in mind, this would have been around 2015-ish, right? Because it took two years to mm-hmm. make this film. Now, Jordan Peele, allegedly, because I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I was, I haven't seen video evidence of this or anything, but like, allegedly, Jordan Peele was so offended by this and so frustrated about the state of, you know, movies that he took a hiatus from acting, decided to focus on directing, and won an Academy Award for Get Out. Mm-hmm which came out the same year as the Emoji movie. (laughs) So... um, That was like his stick it to the Emoji movie. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to work on the phone and I'm only 10. That's because I believe in you. Should we wash our hands? (laughs) No, no, no. We're We're number two. two. So, Aaron, we've we've talked about the context of where this movie came from, the review embargoes. Now, let's talk about the actual film. <laughs> okay. So, what'd you think? Uh, overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it uh, conveyed a positive message. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, like... It, it was actually really interesting because I was reading some reviews on it and so, a lot of people are like, this movie is like the main character, meh. <laughs> That's how they like <laughs> described it. And uh, after after watching it, I was like, I get that. But uh, but yeah, like it wasn't it wasn't cringy. It wasn't a chore to get through. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, there was jokes in it. It made me laugh. Um, and yeah, like overall, I enjoyed it. Also, um, it reminded me quite a bit of Reboot. And mm. I don't know if, if anyone out there is familiar with Reboot, but essentially it was a show. It was like a computer generated uh, show from the 90s about people living in the computer. And I just absolutely loved it as a kid. So watching this just kept making me have like nostalgia feeling of watching Reboot and like remembering that. And so that kind of added to it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. This was not a chore to get through by any means. There was actually a couple parts that, that legitimately made me chuckle, which I wasn't really expecting. Um, I thought the animation was quite nice in a couple places. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I watch animated films, I always like change the picture settings on my TV to vivid and turn on the little the the motion thing to make it nice and you know crisp and vibrant and fun. And there's this one scene where they hop into the his camera roll or something, and they're looking at pictures of this trip to Paris. And his parents yeah. kind of reconcile at that fountain. Mm-hmm. and they're like refracting in the water and the lighting's really nice and everyone's yeah. kind of frozen in time. That was that was a really really gorgeous scene and uh so yeah, I like I I really liked the animation. Um especially when you think about how quickly they did it in. Mhm. Um my my cousin is an one of my cousins is an animator and has works on a lot of Disney shows and I can tell you that Animators don't get treated super well, and they they do a lot of they're doing the Lord's work over there. Like it's really hard stuff. Um, so to think that they turned out this film in like under two years, this polished, is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. So it is. gotta give props to the animators because that's it's pretty wild. I mean, there's a couple places where the lighting, because uh, the the emojis themselves they they don't really accept light. Like they're always the same, mm-hmm. the same color and the same brightness, no matter what their environment is around them, which was kind of jarring in a few places. Mm-hmm. They could, they're, they just kind of exist statically in the, in the environments. But I mean, there was a few points. I think any of the stuff with like the kids in the high school looked really stinking good. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely was like a, like a good looking movie. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely like the uh, the animation. Um, Should we talk about the positive message that was uh, displayed in the movie? Yeah, let's okay. talk about that. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll start with the um, the. So basically, uh, like I mentioned, uh, Meh. Uh, what was his name again? Gene. Gene. Yeah, Gene, who's voiced by T.J. Miller, he was, uh, yeah, he was having trouble fitting in. And so, I, yeah, so the entire journey is just him learning to fit in. And at the end of the movie, he finally realizes, like, yeah, like, I can fit in. And so that's just a great thing to hear, especially nowadays uh, for kids, too, who are in school, maybe having trouble fitting in. Um, it also goes along well with the you know like the gender neutral people or the genderless people or whatever they identify in and uh like whether you're gay um and i guess you read more into this because you said it was kind of like what the director was going for right yeah it ended up being he said it was really personal to him yeah um which 
again, like, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure that's true. I don't, I don't know if it was just publicity, you know, trying to make it sound deeper than it was, but you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's what he said. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this movie, it's interesting for a movie called emoji movie. You kind of walk away from this movie with the feeling that, um, Alex, the kid's name, yeah, you, you kind of get the feeling that he's learned a lesson about trying to just rely on emojis to um, communicate. Mm-hmm. For a movie called Emoji Movie, you're almost saying, you know what? You don't need these emojis to express yourself. Uh, you can't just like fit into one box and fit into one type of person. Like humanity's this rich tapestry, and to think that one expression sums up how you're actually feeling in that moment is a little bit silly. You can be feeling 16 things at once or this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a good message. I I think that's pretty good. It's pretty good. But there is a little bit of like underlining cynicism to it, you know, because at the start of the film, especially High Five, he, he says a lot of lines like, oh, this is, you know... He, he talks a lot about the cynicism, like, oh, you know, kids are addicted to their phones. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's it's about how many likes you get and how many fans you have following you. And, and you know, high fives playing to the cynicism side, whereas Gene's playing to the, well, I don't, you know, man, there must be something wrong with me because I don't, I don't, I don't want to be just meh all the time. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, like... If I'm making the protagonist of a movie literally meh, yeah, that's super brave because you're trying to make this movie vibrant and exciting and your main character is meh. Yeah. <laughs> that's some brave writing, man. That takes mm-hmm. a lot of that takes a lot of balls cuz yeah, I mean <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, because it's it's literally the like emotionless one of the of yeah. the entire like all the emojis. It's like it's supposed to be the emotionless one. Yeah, I kept thinking, man, this is High Five's movie. I want this to be High Five's movie <laughs> because he's yeah. just so fun. But no more fist bumps. We gotta bring the High Five emoji back after this movie. Do do you do you ever find out why he has a bandaid on his finger? No, I was wondering that too. I I like couldn't for the life of me understand because I was like, that's kind of gross. Like I don't want to. So why would an emoji have a bandaid on like his finger? It made no sense to me. Yeah, and he just he has it like the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, and then I liked the um. I liked the visual metaphor of all the emojis being in these little like Hollywood squares style boxes. Mm-hmm. The idea of existing in a box. It's very on the nose, but if I'm trying to explain that to a kid, um, I think that makes it easy to, it creates a conversation to have with your kids. If that's what you're doing, you know, if you're going to that level with them where it's like, well, why are they all in a box? And you're thinking, well, you know, like, because sometimes people want you to fit in a certain box and be a certain way, you know? And yeah. Gene literally again very on the nose ends up like destroying that room just like shattering that paradigm um and then he's cast out for it which again that's strong storytelling it's cliche but it's mm-hmm. cliche for a reason because it works you know mm-hmm. yeah and the then, more you're talking about this movie the more i'm like liking it too 
That's the thing is it's it's an easy movie to hate because of the product placement, because of Sony. You can read the mm-hmm. reviews. You can watch YouTube videos online all day long about people hating on this film. But that's kind of this mob mentality that I'm finding. Aaron, the more of these movies that we actually dissect and, and the more we're doing this podcast, which is crazy because it's only been a few episodes, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm realizing that these movies, like people love to hate something as a yeah. one of our weird one of our weird icky human things is that we love to rally around a cause of hating something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And emoji movie is that personified to a T where before it even came out, the pitchforks were out and everyone was like, F this movie, you know, but, yeah. but the director had said in an interview, well, this movie is meant for people 18 and under. So the reason we have this inv- or this review embargo is so that people over that demographic who this movie's not even for can't ruin the experience for kids that might actually enjoy watching it. Yeah. Um, which is a fancy way of saying um, Sony needs to make money. Yeah. What <laughs> but it, there's, what, there's still some truth in it. What are your like personal thoughts on the uh, like the review embargo? Um, like, are you for it or are you against it? You know what? I, I think I'm against it. It it feels, it feels like a dirty business practice. It's like a bad trick, like saying Mm -hmm. it's like the company hiding how good the film's going to do because there's a lot of weird practices happening now. Um, yeah. I, I, it's funny you mentioned Captain Marvel because I was thinking about Captain Marvel. There was a review embargo, but Rotten Tomatoes, they actually even changed the, their, the fabric of their website because people were review bombing it mm-hmm. before it even came out. Yeah. Um, now, usually before going to see a movie, I don't typically, usually by the time I've decided to or not to go see a movie, I've made, I've made up my own mind about it. Mm-hmm. And a pro or con review doesn't necessarily mean I won't ever watch that movie. It's just whether or not I'll set aside time to go out, spend whatever amount of money, and sit my, my ass down in a theater. Mm-hmm. So I'm against review embargoes because I kind of feel like, you know, critics, they do their thing, and people should be able to kind of make up their own minds. I think if painting that picture of like we're so reliant on these reviews that if they are negative this movie will not make money that's a weird that's kind of a weird sort of i don't dystopian kind of way of looking at movies you know what i mean yeah i'm actually like in favor of the uh the embargo oh interesting okay yeah i i like it because i like to approach every uh movie blindly and not Mm -hmm. know anything about it i am but i take it to the next step where like i don't i don't like to watch trailers of movies um but for multiple reasons is i find now on a few movies especially like nowadays uh whenever the trailers come out they're almost misleading Mm, and uh yeah and so i i absolutely hate that when you watch a movie and you think it's about this and then you and then because you saw the trailer and then you go watch it and it's completely different so Mm -hmm. i essentially just like to know like what the movie is and i kind of 
maybe we'll watch the very first trailer at the most and never like the second or the third trailer that comes out. Yes. Um, and yeah, and, and same, same for reviews. It's, it's like, I don't see the point in reviewing, in reviewing a movie before it comes out. Um, you know, like, yeah, companies, movie companies have to make their money and they're, you know, like, why shouldn't they? They're, they're investing millions of dollars into, um, into something that like someone is going to just, you know, completely destroy before it even comes out. Like, I don't see that as Mm. fair, like let the movie come out, let it, uh, run its pace and then like, and then give it its honest review. But that's, that's just, that's just my side and how I view it. You know what? That you actually raised some good points. I actually never really thought about it that way, but you raised some really good points. Yeah, I'll never, um, I'll never forget how distracted I was watching Rogue One, a Star Wars story, in theaters because I'd watched all the trailers and read everything I could, and then I sat down, and the entire film was so distracted by what wasn't in the film that was in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Because if you've watched that trailer. Now, like 70% of what's in that trailer is not in the film. Yeah. Um, and even with the new, with the latest like Avengers trailers, mm-hmm. um, they'll specifically shoot footage for the trailers just to throw people off the scent of what the plot is. Yeah. So not only is it different shots, it's shots that literally don't even exist. Characters that yeah. aren't even in the same space together. Yeah, and I don't like I don't like that. I like to just be like, whoa, like taken by surprise whenever I start watching it. That's a good way to be, man. I, I feel I just get so tempted. I get I get drawn in. I get drawn into this like orbit where I'm like, oh, oh if I yeah. just have a peek at it and see, oh, when's who's in the what and the this and that, and then I get excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough. I think I think not having review embargoes. I think it encourages mob mentality, which is, mm-hmm. in my opinion, very toxic, especially when we're talking about entertainment, because it's entertainment. We're not talking about, like, you know, important um, life-changing issues here. We're talking about entertainment. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can take it a step further and be like, well, it's supposed to be art, and it's supposed to be this, and it's supposed to be that. But, like, on a face level... If you just take a step back and say, okay, what do I want in my family film? I want it to be bright and colorful. I want it to have some jokes to make the kids laugh. I want it to be, I want it to have some sort of culturally relating message and, you know, maybe some memorable lines. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Emoji Movie has all that. Yeah, It's just definitely. in a very cynical package because the studio behind it is trying to recoup their losses. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I don't, I don't see 7% when I when I watch this movie. No. Okay, if you had to give it a percentage, what would you give it? If if I was giving it a percentage? Yeah. You know what? I would be I would honestly be around 50% mark where I would be <laughs> like, you know what? Like it's an enjoyable film, but there's some yeah. cynical stuff like product placement, the apps, all that stuff really is like, oh, uh, especially the Candy Crush scene. I literally was like, I don't know if I can watch the rest of this. Yeah. <laughs> but again, there's some cool stuff, you know? So yeah, right around 50%. Like you, you know, you know what uh, 50% is? What's meh. that? It's meh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the equivalent of meh. I would rate this movie Gene. Gene. How, I'll give it. What I'll, would you give it? I'll give it fifty-two percent. 
<laughs> That's what I put it. It was slightly better than like meh. The the problem with with aggregating reviews is reviews are written in a vacuum. You don't mm-hmm. know what you don't know what that critic ate for breakfast that morning. Yeah, um, that's true. Again, this podcast is such a neat exercise because we reviewed Master of Disguise sitting at one percent. We reviewed Gili sitting at six percent. We reviewed the Emoji Movie sitting at seven percent. Does any of it make sense? Not really. Not really mm-hmm. at all. No. Um, which I guess just enforces the point of, you know what, just like, just make up your own mind, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like lose the mob mentality and just go and like take it for face value. Yeah. So I I would defend James Corden's performance, um, getting a movie this polished out in two years, given it's Mm -hmm. Rocky production, um, I defend the animation because it's it's pretty slick. It's on par with most stuff um, yeah. that's out, more or less. Some lighting issues that really bugged me, but other than that, you know, it's fun, mm-hmm. it's colorful, and it's upbeat. It's really upbeat. Yeah, and uh, I think that all the all the uh, like voice actors that were in here, like Anna Faris, Maya Rudolph, mm-hmm. um, Jennifer Coolidge, like I, Patrick Stewart, like I think they all did a f- like amazing job in voicing them too. Uh, mm-hmm. Maya Rudolph was hilarious as the Smiler. Uh, yeah, I found her very funny because she had like the almost psycho psychotic uh, vibe to her, but was like, yeah, it was just like a really funny character. As you know, I'm Smiler. <laughs> I am the system supervisor here because I was the original emoji. Yeah, this movie also has an amazing Star Trek reference um, where Patrick Stewart voicing the poop at one point in time um, when everything's malfunctioning or whatever, Patrick Stewart in his little cube starts yelling, red alert, red alert. Oh, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. It was a total like Captain Jean-Luc Picard moment. And I'm not usually one for shameless references, but man. I just got chills because I was thinking about growing up watching Next Generation. And I was like, oh, oh man. <laughs> I just want to go I watch Star Trek references. now. Oh, it's the best. It was, yeah, it was great. Patrick Stewart, I, I read about this too because I was wondering why the heck would Sir Patrick Stewart voice the poop? And I found out that he had just, he was just wrapping up production on Logan, which is mm-hmm. a pretty bleak ride. Like it's a great <laughs> yeah, film, yeah, but it's a pretty bleak ride. Very dark very dark and i mean there's a lot of amazing themes and a lot of you know death and rebirth and all this cool stuff and patrick stewart said that he wanted a palate cleanser after that he just wanted to do something lighthearted to kind of you know just have some fun mm-hmm. to kind of cleanse and so was looking through different casting opportunities and f- came across poop you know yeah. voicing poop <laughs> and he just got such a kick out of it that he went and did it yeah. <laughs> and we're maybe talking about two hours max of time in the studio he probably took to do that right because yeah he's he's not a major character he's literally just like in a couple of scenes (laughs) and so so you have to watch this for patrick stewart's uh jean-luc picard reference and he is (laughs) yeah and he is hilarious too like all the references and and jokes that he makes um one thing i wanted to add too and because like patrick stewart is like arguably probably the biggest and the most famous actor out of everyone that's in that movie. Um, 
And here, like, here is this guy who, you know, is knighted, Sir Patrick Stewart, um, and he's voicing the poop emoji and has, like, no problem about it. And that's what I mean is, like, I hate that it went to, like, a racial point of view for Jordan Peele, but, like, you know, if someone like this who's, like, a serious actor can do it, like, I, I, like, I don't see the big deal about it, but. Yeah, we're talking about, like, a Shakespearean stage actor. Yeah. Like- yeah. Who decides I'm going to voice the poop because I get what family movies are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, I feel like, yeah, the, he had an absolute, like great, great attitude towards the voicing he, the poop. Yeah. If I was going to turn this movie into a meme on in defense of, I would just say if Sir Patrick Stewart could go out of his way to voice a poop emoji out of all the projects he could have done that year, you can give mm-hmm. this movie an hour and a half to entertain you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Get your kids, get your nieces or nephews and just like have a fun time and watch it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, really quickly, the music's not the music's not anything to really write home about. It's pretty good, but it's by the same composer. It. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Doyle did the music. He did such things you may have heard of as Thor. Oh. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Murder on the Orient Express, which has a wicked soundtrack. Um, Cinderella, the new Cinderella. He did Brave. Um, mm-hmm. He actually did the score for the video game as well. Um, he's done a lot of cartoons, a lot of a lot of family films. He he's did Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So again, another kick-ass composer. Some real talent in the music department. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, nothing nothing to be offended about there. I mean, that's some good yeah. stuff. I mean, I I feel that the soundtrack was quite quite easy for this because they just picked mainstream songs, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so uh, like they're probably all under the Sony label as well, aren't they? Like all the artists that they picked. Oh, you know what? Probably I didn't even think about that, but yeah, probably. Yeah. I bet if we looked into it um, again, though, that just the money making machine. The the mm-hmm. music was dated in some places. I noticed some of the song selection. I was like. Who's that for? Because this is like an older song, you know? <laughs> yeah. Eh? Yeah, I was kind of like, huh, that's a weird choice. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it was what it was. Um, again, Aaron, this, I'm so torn. I'm 50-50 on this film in terms of, because there's the cynicism of like, oh my God, they're playing Candy Crush. Oh my God, they're doing Just Dance. Oh my God, there's Facebook, you know, Spotify. Oh, they're writing a tweet. Oh my God. But... Then there's just the, oh, this is kind of fun. That's funny. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's colorful. Oh, you know what? This is pretty funny. And oh, you know, like it's, this is, this is an easy movie to not hate as much as it's an easy movie to hate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Let me ask you this because me personally, I've never understood like why people get so upset about product placement. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of me watching and I was like, oh, they're in Candy Crush. Like whatever. Like I, I don't care. Like, I, right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go buy the game and be like, oh my God, I saw it in the emoji movie. I need to play Candy Crush. You know, I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, sh- oh man, they're on a Twitter bird. Like I need to get, I need to like download Twitter. Like I, I don't think that like I, I and, and that's what I mean. It's like, I don't understand why people just get so upset. Like, do they feel mm. that like they're selling out because they have all this product placement in it? Does it take away from the movie because all of a sudden they're like taken out of like the immersiveness of the movie because there's like suddenly like a product in there? But like, that's what I mean is I, I just I have never understood it. You know, this movie's this movie, the product placement in this movie is really bizarre to me because half, if not all the products that they shill in this movie 
come pre-installed on almost every phone nowadays anyway. Mm-hmm. Like you're yeah. not you're not selling something that people don't just like have randomly, you know? Yeah. Like I don't really know anybody who doesn't have Dropbox, at least somewhere on their phone for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And also this is weird to me because um, Sony makes phones and in every Sony f- movie I've seen, um, especially what was it? The Hotel Transylvania sequel, the entire thing, their, their Sony Xperia phones were like front and center. Like for the life of me, I couldn't figure out while watching this, why the hell are they not using their own phone as the phone? They're using like a generic phone made for the cartoon made for the movie mm, that's and a i was good like point. of all the products you guys are kicking out why did you not sony brand the phone as a phone manufacturer because every other sony phone has that or sony film has that even in yeah. spider-man even in the most recent spider-man of course he's using a sony phone like why wouldn't he it's a sony mm-hmm. film, you know so the product placement in this film in particular r- is so confusing to me um, mm-hmm. but in other films, there's a, I, I think people don't like it just because it distracts them from what's going on in the movie. Okay. There's product placement bugs me for the most part, but only in certain films. Like if I'm watching a James Bond movie, for instance, I enjoy the product placement because James Bond films above, you know, as well as being a lot of other things, they're kind of a time capsule of what what that era was like like mm. james bond films are like so how did people dress that year what kind of mm-hmm. cars were considered luxurious what kind of beverages were considered luxurious what did the world look like because if you go back and watch like a james bond film from like the the 90s they were doing the same thing but it's like oh remember when those were popular remember when people mm-hmm. wore hats remember when so james bond films it doesn't bother me it really doesn't but if i'm watching say Fast and the Furious, and they take a break to drink a Corona, and it's like perfectly framed in the shot, and and Vin Diesel turns to the camera and says, "Nothing like a nice cold Corona." Ah, you know. <laughs> then uh, I'm like, it's super sorry. cynical. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so interesting fact about that um, in Fast and Furious, when he pulls a Corona out, they did not actually pay corona for that it was free advertisement yeah it's like it's it's actually real like it's a it's an actual fact they did not they did not that for some reason i can't remember (laughs) why they they literally were like we want corona and they just had corona and so it was something like ten thousand dollars worth of advertisement that was just free because they wanted coronas in the movie good lord that's too funny i i man that's one of the most blatant advertisement uh, examples that just pops in my brain so clearly mm-hmm. it was not even intentional. Yeah. Now I just feel silly. Uh, probably the Now one I, I want a Corona. <laughs> yeah, let's go get a Corona <laughs> after this. The one, uh, another one that jumps out, at, sorry, just because you mentioned it, one that jumps in, into my head as being absolutely horrible was in one of the Transformers movies where... Uh, he's one of the more recent ones. I think the third one where they're playing with that transformer, like nanotech stuff. And mm-hmm. the dude's just like, how about a gun? And then he's like, how about the pill by beats by Dre? And like, you know what I mean? Like literally mm. uses transformer tech to create it. And it's like perfectly framed. Um, so I have a love hate relationship with product placement. Yeah. Um, 
it's impossible to make a movie without products kind mm-hmm. of so so studios might as well make some money off it i mean if you need yeah. cars in your film which most films do those cars have to be manufactured by somebody you know mm-hmm. um you know if you have a scene where two characters are drinking at a cafe what a, you know like there's there's all these different things that just kind of organically happen in terms of product placement that i don't mind so much because you're paying to make the film that i'm enjoying mm-hmm. it's when yeah. i'm like beat over the head with it and it feels greedy and it feels forced down my throat that I start to get a little, I start to get a little shitty about it. Yeah. I think that I, I don't know. I think I've just kind of built up an immunity to it where it just doesn't really phase me. Like I just tune it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the only movie that I can think of that I'm like, that it stuck out to me enough to remember was mystery men. Hmm. Yeah. But I think that was more of like they use product placement as a joke in that movie. They do, but it's like a sneaky trick because they use it as a joke, but yeah. it's not a joke in terms of their bank account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think that was the only time that I've been like, ah, I don't know how I feel about that. But other than that, like, yeah. It, isn't that, it's such a sneaky little trick, isn't it? Hey, like they're, mm-hmm. like, you know, they in, they almost use it as cynicism. Like yeah. uh, freaking Batman and Robin, when George Clooney pulls out the, the American Express and it's like, don't leave home without it. And you're like, good yeah. Lord. Yeah. See, that's, that's the thing is like when you go out of your way to actually like, <laughs> you know, um, display the product, I think that, and like actually say something about it in the movie, that's when I get, that's when yeah. I get like a little bit annoyed, but I felt like the emoji movie did a really good job of not going too hard into the, the, um, like the product placement because even candy crush kind of fit into it well because it's a game on the phone they're living in the phone and they went into the app so you're like okay that makes sense it's not like like hey uh let's play a game of candy crush because we're in a phone you know like it, it made sense with it it worked it furthered the plot yeah yeah that's important to note um yeah the thing the the thing that really impacted me uh again, with the premise of the film, is there was a certain amount of cynicism to all of the product placement, too. Where it was like, oh, why do we gotta go... Like, oh, especially the Facebook sequence, when they, Mm -hmm. like, what's Facebook? And he walks into it, and all the characters behind in the app are like, that you don't really see, but they're like, oh, check out these pictures of my cat, blah, 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 you know? And they're making fun of Facebook, and then Mm -hmm. Gene walks out of it, and he's like, oh, God, like, we can't go in there. So... It's almost like anti-product placement where they're like, yeah, we're going to place products, but we're going to take a piss on them while we do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, that's almost the whole premise of the movie is is taking the piss out of emojis where it's like, yeah, we're going to do an emoji movie, but by the end of it, you're going to realize that you can't express yourself properly with emojis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, they, they, uh, Instagram, they, they talk about Instagram briefly, um, Again, Dropbox, which is essentially a free service unless you p- play or pr- pay for like premium. Um, the climax of the film is like getting to Dropbox. So it's gosh, the product placement in this film is is really bizarre to me. It's really really bizarre. At some point in time here, we're going to talk about Adam Sandler movies later in this series. <laughs> and yeah. Adam Sandler has had a partnership with Sony, and his movies are basically commercials with with you know, poop jokes in between them. So yeah, we're going to get there and we'll talk more about this for sure. But yeah, emoji movie, man, uh, review embargoes, 
um, crazy production stuff. You know, offending I feel like, pe- racially offending people. Yeah, <laughs> got it all. That's the thing. People go into these movies and they take uh, face value based on a trailer, based on mob mentality they read on mm-hmm. online or YouTube or whatever. Um, but there's there's some fascinating history here, uh, especially in terms of review embargo. Aaron, question for you. Mm-hmm. If, okay, a thousand years from now, say the yeah. human race is like obliterated, aliens come down to Earth, and one of the only, the only movie available on a little thumb drive is the emoji film. They pop it in, <laughs> they watch it. If you're that alien, what do you think of the human race? <laughs> oh, I'd be like... I wouldn't even know. I would have so many questions. I'd be like, well, is that what they were? Like, were they just yellow little smiley faces? Was there like an actual talking poop? Like, yeah, I don't know. I I would like, okay, assuming they knew what humans were and they knew what movies were, I would say that I I would be like, okay, they they like to... um, they like to, oh man, that's such a tough question. I, I don't know. What would you say? <laughs> I would just, I would just think they would think, wow, they were, they had a really uh, in de- deep relationship with their technology. You know, yeah, they okay, I would yeah. think, oh, they only express themselves through the use of these devices, you know? Yeah. I would think, <laughs> oh, what is Candy, candy Crush and where can I download it? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, look at these whales in Spotify. Let's go there. Yeah. 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 That's what I would think. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, sorry. Just one quick note that I had written here was, man, their teacher was so good at drawing hieroglyphs. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> they cut away to the classroom where the teacher is drawing hieroglyphs and drawing this parallel to the, how the ancient Egyptians used to use glyphs to how we use emojis today. A very understated, very underrated little parallel, by the way. Um, but I yeah. thought, holy cow, he's really good at drawing those. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I could never do Dude, that. I, I I thought the exact same thing. I was, was like, "Holy smokes!" Like, <laughs> it's like a it was like a whole board full of them. And like they this were guy like has perfect. to be like a professor in Egyptian hieroglyphs or whatever. What the hell is he doing working at like a community high school? Yeah, <laughs> what is he like an alcoholic or something? I was like, <laughs> he should be like at a university or with those kind of skills. Yeah, definitely. He probably yeah. went home and was like, I need to relate to these kids. What can I <laughs> what can I possibly teach them to relate? And that's what he came up with. Stay up all night filling a board with uh Egyptian hieroglyphs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, Aaron, but my my high school in, in Prince George, British Columbia, I sure didn't have teachers drawing hieroglyphs on the board. <laughs> no. Maybe poop emojis, but that's about it. <laughs> Just drawing poop. Yeah. Today's lesson will be on poop. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think poop emojis were like before my high school time anyways. Yeah. Um, One more thing I was thinking is uh, I thought the movie also had a very positive message in friendship. Uh, Mm. Because like whenever the hand gets deleted um, and they go back and rescue him. And I thought it had a very positive message in that as well, which I really liked. Yes. Very much so. He had a choice to make. And mm-hmm. even uh, even Jailbreak uh, had a, you know, she was trying to urge him to kind of keep going. We can't go back for him. Yeah. Um, but they did. And that was super nice. And the nice thing uh, that about it was it wasn't like, 
oh, should I? Should I not? Should I? It was like, okay, we're going back for him. Like it was set in his mind, which I think is like a really positive, positive message to just like know to to be there for your friends. Yeah, he was facing deletion and he still went and saved his friend. Mm-hmm. With yeah. no hesitation. Yes. I I liked the ticking clock scenario where the kid was gonna get his phone wiped. Um mm-hmm. I, I thought that was just clever. It puts some it puts some it raised the stakes, put some urgency in the situation. I thought it was funny when it cut back to the kid and his phone's going off and freaking out. Um <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking to myself, what happens if he just turns it off? But they didn't really go there. I was like, eh, doesn't yeah. matter. It's not movie over. That's what happens. Movie over. Roll credits. <laughs> do do people even turn their phones off nowadays? Like, mm, do you turn your know. phone off? Yeah, once a week. If I'm in a film, like at a theater, I'll turn it off just because. Oh, um, I, I like never turn my phone off. It goes on to silent. But yeah, it's always on. Jeez, I keep killing my emojis and yours are just having a party. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my gosh! This was this was supposed to be a uh, a series. By the way, it was supposed to kick off a franchise that did not happen. <laughs> uh, there was going to be like a uh, a multiverse, right? Because everyone's got their own phone, so you'd have like mm. emojis over here and emojis over there, and different kind of you know maybe the girl's phone. The emojis are a little different, and blah 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 blah. Never happened. Um, mm-hmm. Just something something to note. This was this was going to be a vehicle for Sony. Did not work out. Too bad. Too bad. Now they could just go back to making, I don't know, Adam Sandler movies or whatever they're doing. (laughs) No, I think Netflix has cashed in on Adam Sandler. That's true. That's true. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. One of the, one of like the CEOs of like Sony Pictures uh, Mm -hmm. went to work for Snapchat and the basis of Snapchat appearing as a product placement in this movie was literally just him making a few bucks <laughs> to jump oh, over. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Something, another weird little factoid I found in my... And I was like, what the heck? That's weird. Yeah, um, well... Yeah, man. You got, so, a, you got anything else to add to this, or...? Uh, I thought them riding on a music stream was a cool visual. I thought that mm, was cool. I enjoyed that. I, I did as well. When the whale jumps over them, I thought that was really cool. I always like seeing music visually represented. It's there's always yeah. creative ways of doing that, and that was creative. I liked it. So, yeah. no, that's the only note I had left. Honestly, I just uh, I didn't have a lot of notes. But again, this was not as painful as I ever would have thought. So, yeah, yeah, man. How about you? I overall enjoyed it. Like I said, thought it conveyed a uh, positive message. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the product placement wasn't like too bad for me. And so I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Uh, with that being said, let me ask you this, Stan. <laughs> yes. Do you? I think I know, I think I know what's coming. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you don't have a place to belong or... Uh, <laughs> You have troubles sorting out your feelings. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you have trouble making friends and keeping <laughs> friends? Yes. Well, I suggest you watch this movie. Because <laughs> it will give you some hard life lessons. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, I think that about does it for the emoji film. Or the emoji movie, mm-hmm. rather. Um yeah, not as hard as I thought it would be, not as bad as I thought it would be, and certainly mm-hmm. doesn't certainly doesn't deserve to be only 1% away from 
the disaster that was Gili. So yeah, I feel like Gili is kind of like our stand or our like uh, reference for bad right yes. now. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely my bedrock as of right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So awesome. Well, I enjoyed it. That was fun. Um, thanks so much for tuning in and checking out this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to subscribe, and we'll keep keep making them and watching awesome films slash terrible films. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.